I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run Hip Hop Anonymous on Twitter. You use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. I'm direct to the fifth element. Why I highlight the fifth element of hip hop, which is knowledge. Uh, one one ticket to a uh, one ticket to DITD, please. Explicit edition. Yes. I have yeah, to do like a to do on video. <laughs> yeah. Can I get a can I get a, a butter uh, on that popcorn as well? Yeah. Just keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. You go. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Until it's dripping in the bowl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Editor Charlie, get us out of here. Oh, so it's by your mouth, okay, it was the, yeah, yeah, alright. What did you, what did you think it was, like? I don't know, I thought, I don't know, I thought it was something with your hands, because I know people could do it with their hands, like, something, something of that nature, that's more of, like, uh, I don't know, that's more like, yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense now. It, the, the fact that we're doing it visually kind of uh, ruins, the, <laughs> ruins the mystery. I know, uh, maybe we'll cut that bit, I don't know. <laughs> We got space. Hi Ben, how's your week been? What have you listened to this week? Uh, this week, so Dave East dropped a project. Now, mm-hmm. the criticism we have always had of Dave East is that he's incapable of converting his earth-scorching features into a compelling full-length project. And I swear it's almost like he heard our review of Survival and Karma 3 and tried to rectify that because we get nine songs, 33 minutes, eight guests. Dave East is more than compelling. He sounds centered and confident, not afraid to stray from the accepted sound of today on tracks like Deeper Than Love and Don't Let Me Down. The former, which to me sounds exactly like the slow jam on the mid-2000s pop rap project. You know, there was always one of those in the middle there somewhere. The unfortunate callback is saved by, and, and that it is an unfortunate callback because those tracks were usually pretty freaking trash, to be 100% honest. But it's saved by Davies' storytelling and honesty. He even hits on some truly memorable hooks, uh, like John Lennon. I thought that was a great song. Wild cadences, no cocaine and crash out. He's really hitting some different cadences. The thing I like even more about this album is it doesn't feel off like, feel like a one-off lightning strike. Um, it's not a classic, obviously. It's not particularly endearing either outside of its consistency, but it's a lyrical level above almost everyone else right now. And Dave East is not everyone else. That's the thing. He's a deeply talented lyricist. And this record is something he should be dropping every project. He should be dropping solid, dependable, consistent. So it excites me even more. And they always say in cricket, for example, when I was learning how to be a leg spin bowler, it wasn't the tricks and the change-ups that would get me the bulk of my wickets. It was the stock ball, the ball that I bowled 70% of the time. If I couldn't be consistent with that, I wouldn't succeed. And this is Dave House, Dave, sorry, Dave East's wheelhouse now. Like this is the foundation I wanted to keep building on. And man, this is a good project. It, I think the length really helped it. I really do. Like the lesser length really helped. Benny the Butcher, Tanner Talk 4. Now this might be, it's going to get a little bit in depth here. You know how I feel about Benny. I was very critical of Burden of Proof on this podcast back in 2020 when it dropped. 
I said that the album was a sonic mess and his lyrical content was a bit confusing and that it was a bit dimmed. Then on the plugs I met too, I said this, and I think this is salient. On this project, he is tortured by the possible consequences from his previous life, one where he had nothing to lose and he acted accordingly. Now he's got a lot to lose, and his anxiety and paranoia is written all over this record. On Tanner Talk 3, Benny was stuck in circumstances beyond his control and trying to make a living in that realm, where everything relates back to drug dealing. On Plugs I Met, the original, he was still unsure whether success would bless him. On Plugs I Met 2, he's wildly successful beyond what he anticipated and now he's racked with worry. Tanner Talk 4 is so much different. It's so much more self-assured. It's like Benny woke up and realized exactly what he said on Crowns for Kings. He said, I'm fresh out of luck. I'm here because I deserve to be. And maybe the Tanner Talk series has given him the confidence to dive into the depths again, to rap uninhibited and unflinching. That's the thing. I think it really began on weekends in the Perrys with Baldy and Benny Raps. And the phone used to ring so much that you used to get nervous around me. And that's it, man. That's the thing. That's what makes Benny Benny. No one else is rapping a bar like that. They might have the same sentiment, but no one says it the way that Benny the Butcher says it. And his confidence is back too. One thing I spoke to Kembe about in our interview, it's essential for rappers to rap without filters, to say the darkest, deepest thing they are feeling without fear of consequence. And I'm not going to put that on any rapper. I'm not going to tell any rapper what they should or shouldn't rap about, what they're comfortable rapping about. But Benny was doing that. Benny was doing that pre-Burden of Proof. And I really respect his honesty and openness. And it creates a picture so vivid, you can't help but be emotionally impacted by it. He raps um, on Uncle Bun with Special. I sold dope to a fiend while she was pregnant, emotionless. I'm not a caseworker. That's not a reason I sold the shit. Who cared? I wore hand-me-downs too big for my clothes to fit. Who cried for me when my relative stole, stole from me for a hit? And man, look. That's that's that Benny. That's that like old school, just talking about the the darkest stuff, Benny. And then on Billy Joe, he raps. This year, I feel like I'm 99 Hove. Now you connect that to 97 Hove off Tanner Talk Three, obviously, in the message on that. But there's also a bar push a T spat on numbers on the boards. It says mixed drug and show money. Bigs Burke on tour. Now I'm not going to finish that story for you. If you research Emory Jones and then listen to Jay Z's verse on Seen It All. All of that that whole reference will make sense, I think. Now, I think whilst Conway is moving into more introspective territory and embracing his vulnerability, working through emotion on wax, Benny to me feels imperious, like he's levitating above songs and delivering sobering dissertations in three or four bars. He says, on Buster Bricknick, he says, In this business, it's best to stay out your feelings to advance further. Can't shake the bitch, I told her. Get, I get the neck, but I can't serve you. She's not my type, but it pops the connect, so I can't curve her. Before a bullet wound, there was shit that permanently hurt me. In a wheelchair, it was hard to smile on my 36th birthday. Being honest, this could be karma. I probably deserve in the first place. The shit I'm thinking about the jet that's landing in Burbank. Like, bro, come on now. No one's rapping on this level. No one is rapping on this level. And J. Cole knew exactly what time it was on Johnny P's caddy. We had J. Cole rapping, on the night I was born, the rain was pouring, God was crying, lightning striking, power outage, sparks was flying, the real ones here, the young boy that walked with the lions, around the outlines of chalk where the corpse is lying. 
Oh, J. Cole knew exactly what was going on. He knew that he had to come. On the last track J. Cole rapped on, on Waterboys, off, I think it was the Earth Gang album, he raps, I ain't really that guy to toot his own horn, but today, look, I'm honking this bitch. No more off-season. It's a capital B on my car season. If I happen to be in the mall and you cat yourself looking at me, then you're stargate. Bro, that's we're, we're at opposite ends of the spectrum right now. We are completely no one. But he, J. Cole hasn't rapped like this since 2016. The same way that Jay-Z showed the fuck out on JLX album. There's no higher praise than getting A++++ material from superstars. And J. Cole knew that if he gave him what he's been giving everyone for the last three years, he was going to get washed. And I think, look, man, I don't think this is going to touch Tanner Talk 3 for quality, but there's a fuckload of landscape between Tanner Talk 3 and mid, and Tanner Talk 4 is sitting comfortably in there. I think time will tell if it's great, but to me, it's certainly his best offering since the plugs I met. I I like it a lot. I really do. I, uh, I need more listens, but... Um, I just don't think Benny can touch Tanner Talk 3 and the plugs I met. I think those two are just, they're just peerless. Um, but this is good. This is really good. This feels like a return to form. So that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Wow. Two albums. Okay. <laughs> Fair wow. enough because I've, done like, I've I got the, like seven, eight, I gave it nine. deep dive, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for time. Respect it. Um, all right, so I started with the Kid Abstract, uh, Higher Vibration, Little EP. Um, I love his dudes, I love his vibe, um, just super chill hip-hop, uh, West Coast, uh, constantly just, uh, I mean, in this particular case, um, talking, uh, you know, about relationships in some ways, uh, I think he has a wife and kid as well, so, um, references that, uh, but also just, you know, just, uh, just general chill hip-hop, I'm here for it every day, um, actually got a, I remember talking about last week, not finding, uh, tracks, like, to put on regular rotation, and, you know, I kind of uh, made a scour, scoured for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a track on here, uh, Dig This, an outstanding track. I think it's produced by Emmett Payer. Um, so, yeah, shout out to them on that front. Heater, uh, the other guys, uh, Winter and Analog Season 3. Um, always love these dudes um, in terms of just, uh, you know, general beats. Um, always good beats going on. Uh, 17 minutes, but it felt very, it felt faster than that. Uh, partly because I was just like catch, trying to catch a train. I was just like, has it been 17 minutes already? Shit, am I gonna be late? Um, so yeah, that was. But apart from that, it was it's a solid uh, project. Uh, Elzai and George M. Muldrow, female producer alert. Uh, Zeitgeist. Um, I love both of these eyes, and I feel like Elzai just consists is always on job. Um, when you give him. Uh, when you just give him a set of beats, he's just gonna walk all over it. Um, and he does exactly the same here. Um, you have George Ann Wardrobe mainly doing mainly on the production side of it, but she also, you know, produces uh, produces some form of just uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, you know, just some vocals on on the side. You know, what I mean, just to just to keep the vibe very spacey. Um, not usually what Elsa is kind of on, but he just like I said, to give him anything, he kind of easily skates on it, so it's solid. Uh, Dave East, I don't know how you say this, like, is it just H-D-I-G-H, or H-D-I-G-H, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know how it's, um, how it comes about, uh, but anyway, H-D-I-G-H, I guess, um, so yeah, this, uh, particular, yeah, I, I, I like it, I like it, I'm here for it, I feel like the production, I think, is just much better here, um, I feel like that kind of makes or breaks any, 
Davies record for me. Um, I think it's his best since, oof, uh, probably like P two maybe. I, I forget. Like I forget the last project I liked from Davies. Not to sound like I'm shitting on him, but um, you know, I can't. We constantly talk about survival and stuff like that, but. Um, yeah, Karma 3 was fine, you know, Karma 2, um, Hoffa was decent from last year, obviously, uh, but yeah, I think this is just way better, um, produced uh, by a Mike and, I think it says Mike and Keys, um, so yeah, definitely just shout to them, because they've really put some good stuff in there, good features as well, uh, Benny on Don't Let Me Down, Unbelievable, with Method Man, uh, but I think uh, his own stuff, just After Taxes, A Thousand Miles, really enjoyed those particular records, uh, uh, those particular tracks, uh, a Billy Free and the Lasso, uh, Holy Body Roll. So I was emailed this by um, Mela Music Group. Um, I didn't realize I was just getting sent shit by them, but I was, I was I'm here for it. Um, but yeah, man, I just uh, it just came this just came out of nowhere for me, and I was just like, oh, go on then. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's heat. It's so heat. Um, just trying to did I delete the email? I must have. Um, but yeah, it's like super funky, just super like neo-funk, like straight from like a baby of like, it's like George Clinton just birthed this. Um, it is absolutely crazy. Uh, ABD3, I think is a Mexican, uh, uh, artist and the lasso, um, with the beast as well. But yeah, this is just super funky, uh, super, super vibey. I just, I really enjoy this record. This is so underrated. Um, I, yeah, this is definitely on the long list album uh, from the year, definitely on that long list right now. Uh, just definitely worth a listen if you're into that kind of uh, neo-funk. Uh, it's just consistent, uh, spacey vibes. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, Khan and Dem Joints, Mission Hills, um, you know what we're saying? You know what we say? Death Taxes and Khan Dropping. Um, and uh, this is just more of that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, um, it kind of gives me like... Um, workout music you know i mean motivational music because a lot of that kind of just you know uh, uh fat beats you know pumping iron kind of tracks really go for that kind of vibe uh which is fine you know what i mean i was kind of walking the dog so it wasn't really <laughs> wasn't really perfect for me at that point but you know i, I, I could see it i could see the vision uh definitely um khan really does a good performance here i think um some of the tracks are produced by him it's not all dem joints but um majority dem joints uh, but yeah, man, I I, just, I love me some Khan, constantly evolving, always doing something different every time he drops. Um, and yes, yeah, there's no different, solid, uh, solid piece of work. Benny, Town Talk Four. Um, I kind of think this is getting a bit, um, it's getting a bit sad, really, like thinking about it, because you, you know, like, uh, I kind of agree with Ben in some ways, where it's just like, I don't think, um, just, I mean, for me, it's the plugs I met out of the out of the Town Talk Three or the plugs I met. I'm kind of in the plugs I met uh, uh camp. But it's kind of interesting how you know most people most people agree that um the 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 best project has been that and it's kind of it's kind of interesting because Benny and Griselda lot are kind of not in that place in like currency for example right where um it doesn't really matter if we we're not ranking currency albums you know what I mean we're not doing that but people are going to be ranking benny albums they're ranking conway albums they're taking it that seriously because currency doesn't take themselves that seriously clearly but benny and conway do so whenever they drop something you know they they keep saying it's album of the year but you know any you know, you know what i mean so it's a bit weird how like they've just i think they've pushed themselves into a corner if we're thinking about this you know overall where it's just like oh yeah we're going for album of the year you know what i mean it's coming it's coming you know constantly hyping 
And then I'm not saying this is mid or anything. It's fine. It's decent. I I don't mind it. I think the production's very solid on here. Um, but yeah, it's fine. Like you know, J Cole and Johnny P's Caddy was great. Real good energy on there. Um, I, I I've had, I've had to say to twice to people this week uh, that I'm not into Boldy James that much, and they they come to me saying Boldy's hot, and I'm just like. Don't see it. Don't see it. I, I saw just, someone. I just don't see it. I don't know if you saw the tweet, but someone said, "Why does Baldy keep coming onto records and just ruining them every single time?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man, it's gonna be a long day for you, my friend." Ah, uh, he doesn't ruin them. Like he doesn't ruin them for me. He just kind of he's just there, and he just to me he just sounds like disinterested. He just yeah, it's just like no energy coming from there. Um. I don't know. And 10 more commandments, I don't think they needed to be there. I don't think that that that, that was like, you know, for the culture. And I don't think that passed the test. Um, most of them were just like very general rules. It's just like, take care of your people. So I'm like, wow. What, yeah, th- those are rules nobody nobody heard of before. So yeah, it was a bit whack. And uh, Diddy all over it again. Literally, I, all I had in my head was just Suge Knight going like, if you don't want people dancing all in the videos, dancing. That's exactly what I, was, I had in my head as I was listening. I was just like, Diddy, please step back. Um, and the beat to that was a bit... For 10, for ten more commandments, you, 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 the beat's got to be better than that. Uh, Tyson versus Ali's fine. The hook was very, very, uh, just all just very too much. I was just like... Tyson versus Ali. Tyson versus Ali. It's like you're just saying it. It's like, it's, okay. Um, Guerrero. Obviously, the half of that is is to skip for me. Um, but yeah, fine. It's fine. It's it's solid. I can't complain. It's not album or anything, but it's fine. And lastly, lucky day. Candy drip. Um, I've been I've been kind of just asking people whether I should even listen to it. Um, uh, because I, I don't know. The the best thing lucky day has done for me is the is his EP table for two last last year. And the depressed and the interesting thing about that is that he got completely rinsed on every single track uh, by the likes of Tiana Major 9 and Yeba. Um, it was just absurd, right? He literally got rinsed. It was pointless him being there. Um, but, you know, I was listening to this and I think I feel, I think I've gathered why I can't just, I, I, why I have like not beef with Lucky Day or anything, but just like why I want to get into him, but I just can't. I, th- I, because the beat, the production's amazing. It's really right, man. That's kind of R and B I like. But yeah, I just don't. I don't know, man. I just don't feel the presence. I feel like his songwriting, his pen is really solid, really good pen game. I can see what I can see people being into him, but I just can't do it. I I simply can't do it, and it's really jarring. Uh, it's kind of yeah. I don't know. It kind of annoys me. It's a fine album. It's fine. It's it's great for the background. I feel very good for the background. But um, as like a you know as a uh, a focus listen yeah 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 i don't know um but anyway under 20 minutes we did it again um and we hop on to uh topic for this episode continuing our women's history month celebrations uh with the one and only lil kim um wow where to begin on that i, I think for me personally as a general thought i find it interesting in terms of her music like uh the a lot of it is kind of not what i uh, th- there's the there's the assumed you know there's the assumed I think that Lil Kim's a perfect case of just one of those artists that are seen as one thing, but they're really a lot more, especially musically for me. Um, but we'll get into that when we get into that. And Ben, have you finished with your toast? We can get. 
<laughs> Off you go, Mr. Day, as you eat your toast. Yeah, I'm in the middle of eating toast. Um, look, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 I purposely try to stitch up with that. Why, why? You were successful. So, <laughs> let me just swallow this. Uh, a lot of peanut. Because it's, pe- <laughs> it's peanut butter too, so it's not like. It's oh like, my days! I just started. Yeah, you, like, no, I just that's a you problem. That's I just started problem. on the that's peanut butter. I finished a jam. Yeah. So, okay, Biggie, Biggie hears Little Kim spinning bars on the corner of Fulton Street, and the story goes that he knew that she was a star immediately. Okay. What I find about this story really interesting is, like, um, look, our retrospectives thus far have, for the whole, focused on telling the facts of the story and letting a narrative emerge from them. I find this to be the most organic way of delivering the podcast by starting off my research journey with no goal except to consume knowledge about the artist or group. There's always a narrative in every artist that we choose. It's just at what point it reveals itself. Now, immediately, without even going into Little Kim's life story, the narrative was there in this episode. It was so overt. It was so quick. I wasn't even sure if it was the right one to pursue because it was just right there. But I think it is because it struck me so vividly when I was watching Diddy, Lil' Kim, and her mum, Lil' Kim's mum, on the Rolanda, Rolanda Watch show in 1997. And the title the title for this show is Lil' Kim Sexualizing Our Children, something that looks totally bizarre in 2022 until you think back to how many men were triggered by WAP, like, or WAP. How do I, how do I even say that? In Australia, we say WAP. Is it WAP? <coughs> Take 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 it where you want, bro. Take it where you want. I say what. So little Kim is calm. I say, say what else? P word. Pussy. You say P word, do you? What F P word? So little Kim, little Kim in this interview is little Kim sexualizing our children. He's calm. She's focused. She's concise in her answers. She's eloquent. Quite frankly, she makes the questions look straight up fucking dumb. Is little Kim sexualizing our children? Lil' Kim responds with, how about you take some personal responsibility as parents? If your daughter is too young to listen to it, don't let her listen to it. It has a parental advisory sticker for a reason. It's pretty simple. And this sent me down the rabbit hole of Lil' Kim's legacy because I often point to uh, Salt and Pepper as the the true originators of the the style that Lil' Kim popularized. And Lil' Kim herself has been very clear that she's a descendant of both Salt and Pepper and MC Light. These are the two hip-hop acts that she's most influenced outside of Biggie. But Lil' Kim is unique. No one did what she was doing. Foxy was more understated with it. Missy Elliott dabbled in it, but it wasn't the same. Lauren Hill definitely set herself aside from it. Plenty of artists indulged in it, but no one took it as far as Lil' Kim. Her very first solo introduction to the world is the sounds of a man going into a movie theater to masturbate over her. That's, that's about as overt as it gets. It doesn't get much more overt than that. Lil' Kim's early life was tumultuous. Her parents envisaged bringing her up with stability and safety, but this was thrown into disarray when they divorced with Kim aged nine. Multiple outlets reported her father as abusive, and when her mum fled with Lil' Kim, they were forced into homelessness. And Lil' Kim said, There was a time when my mother and I were living out the trunk of her car. We slept in the back seat. Now, in a wide-ranging interview with Vibe in 1997, she said, My mum is my friend, but I raised myself. People don't know that she was basically living out of her car when she went through things with my father. She feels that guilt. She knows that she left me there. Now, in an essay by Clover Moore in The Motherlode, I'm going to reference this essay a lot. 
Kim is said to have loved the book Rainbow Jordan by Alice Childress because the foster child protagonist reminded her of herself. She was forced back to her father, who is described as being abusive to both her and her older brother. She uh, ran away from home, or sorry, she left his home twice. Once when she was forced, she didn't run away from home, she was kicked out twice. Once when she was 14, her dad caught her cutting school by checking the phone bill and seeing that she'd been making calls when she should have been in class. And the final time he kicked her out, which was a year later, this is, he remarried, and then he kicked the 15-year-old little Kim out on the street because he'd remarried. What the fuck, man? Like, seriously, his his behavior was described as erratic and dangerous. He would ply her with brand names like Gucci, increasing her social standing greatly, of course, but abusing her. She even said that he used to fight her like a man, so much so she allegedly stabbed him with a pair of scissors at some point. And she told Newsweek in, in 2000, it was like I could do nothing right. Everything about me was wrong. My hair, my clothes, just me. All my life, men have told me I wasn't pretty enough, even the men I was dating. It's always been men putting me down, just like my dad. So she was estranged from her father for most of her adult life until he fell ill in 2012, and she took him into her home. She told OK Magazine, I believe in God, and I also believe in the quote, honor thy mother and thy father, no matter what. I'm always going to be there for my family. So if we go back to little Kim the teenager, she was kicked out of her father's home at 15, and she avoided homelessness by crashing on the couches of friends and transporting drugs around the city for drug dealers. She said, I did what it took to survive. I ran errands for drug dealers, lived with them, whatever it took to make ends meet. Now, it was during this period she met Biggie, who would have obviously a big impact on her entire career. And this is where I pause because I don't think we need the extra information. I'll give more detailed description of events if they're relative to the narrative. But Lil' Kim is an enigma that people spent decades trying to figure out only so they could assign her to the correct box in their head. Was she a feminist? Was she an exhibitionist? Was she a contrarian? Was she a shock rapper? Was she the plaything of male rappers who were exploiting her for her success? Would she exist without Notorious B.I.G.? What I've noticed is plenty of people ask her these questions in interviews and she answers from her own perspective consistently, concisely, and eloquently, but that's never the end of the issue. The interviewer always has their own opinion and they deliver them and then it's left up in the air as if it's some kind of discussion like who is little Kim, what is she, you know, and she is whatever the fuck she says she is. She hasn't been unclear or confusing or chaotic in her messaging. She owns her sexuality and explores it with freedom and free of any inhibitions. It's fucking, it's as simple as that and as we move through this episode, just know that every single thing Lil' Kim did once the artwork for Hardcore dropped was viewed through whatever misguided and biased filter individuals had. Women are just sexual objects. So okay, Lil' Kim, are you a sexual object? Women can't succeed without men. So okay, Lil' Kim, would you be successful without Biggie? I'm genuinely sick and tired of sitting through interviews with bigoted dimwits, projecting their belief systems onto Lil' Kim while trying to make some grandstanding point. Just shut the fuck up and let Lil' Kim be Lil' Kim. And that's, I'm going to pause there and let Charlie respond to that. And eat my toast. <laughs> Ulterior motives. You saw it, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it first. Um, yeah, I think um, it reminds me of that uh, video that went viral a few years ago where like that woman was, um, it was like a woman and this uh, this, this dude. And he, this dude was like known for just like really asking dumb questions to women 
and she just completely just like dismantled him and uh, she was just constantly saying like i'm a slut you're a slut your mic's a slut stuff like that and he was just like uh you know why why would you want to call yourself a slut stuff like that and it's just and she was just constantly like just topping him and it was uh it's it's, it's a glorious video if you haven't seen it um and that's kind of just where i come from in that in that space and considering that most mainly her career obviously was based in the mid-90s throughout the 2000s in terms of her you know cultural peak and commercial peaks um it but it it just adds on to the conversation that we've had several times about some certain artists throughout that time where you know they just go through the paparazzi uh you know meat grinder and debatable whether they come out of it you know healthy or not um and yeah i think that in that in that uh case in the case of Lil Kim, um, it's one of those things where it re- she she's so authentic in some way that she practically exposes bad interviewing. Um, yeah, bad interviewing where you know they ask a question, she answers it like you say, like you know concisely and you know with no with full context and whatever. But then they throw their opinion on it, and then it's just left in the air. So it's like, what are we doing here? Um, so did you listen to what I just said, what I just said or whatever, like, you know, people can have their opinion, but it's pointless if you didn't actually listen to what they just previously said. Um, but yeah, man, I think, um, I mean, the question of, uh, would she be successful without Biggie? I mean, Biggie basically discovered her, right? So factually probably not, but like, someone else, that, someone else could discover her. I mean... Oh yeah, I'm oh, sure, sure. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's similar to like um, you know, similar to Debrat or similar to you know Crisscross and how Jermaine Dupree discovered them, and you know people discover everybody. Mm-hmm. Usher discovered Justin Bieber, and he's and Usher's a forever demon because of that. Um, that you can you can dance however you could dance as good as you like, Usher. You brought Justin Bieber into the world, and that is unforgivable. Okay. That's for the retrospective on on Usher. If we, <laughs> can we do Usher? That's R and B. I I just want to I just want to guess how great Yeah is. Mm. Anyway, um, so I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, you can you can we can have that we can have that argument, but let's not. Um, but yeah, I think um, the authenticity part I think is kind of, is is very fascinating. Um, because if anything, you can't say she isn't um attitude wise and demeanor wise especially um and you know that comes through in the music and you know we can spend all day asking uh, uh answering the questions that you ask and they have been being they have been asked for the past nearly 30 years now um and you know i guess uh in <clears throat> i'm sure in some hip-hop academia circles um you know there's a book by uh uh, Professor Trisha Rose called Hip Hop Wars. I've re- I've mentioned that I think on this pod before, um, probably last year when we did our hip hop uh, women in hip hop discussion. Um, that book's fascinating because it kind of um, uh, breaks down kind of the how women are seen in hip hop, and obviously Lil Kim is a bit very very extremely big part of that, especially as it pertains to her own legacy. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe we 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 can we can ask those questions if we feel like it, but um, there's there's not really any point in this case, um, in terms of the retrospective. But yeah, it's kind of antiquated the fact that we're still answering those que- people are still 
feel like there's a need to answer those questions at this point. I mean, I get it from an academic standpoint because I think it's very fascinating from a how and how people see women in society and how people w- see women in art. You know, exhibitionist. That's a very that's a very uh, broad term because I when I hear exhibitionist, I think like shit from like the Victorian era. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, like people in circus circus times or whatever when the circus was popping. Exhibitionists in hip hop, like when it's so commercialized, I don't think exhibitionists in that fa- in that fashion uh, gain that much clout. Um, but anyway, that's that's a random personal opinion. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating story, nevertheless, in terms of a. Uh, you know how she came about definitely i think um the family background's very interesting um and uh really i think sets a tone for a lot of the serious stuff that she comes through with in her music which she does come with sometimes um but we'll get to that when we get to it yeah so obviously b uh met her on fulton street and she rapped for him and they formed a friendship and you know biggie was only two years her senior but he became her mentor and in interviews she speaks really fondly of these pre-fame days with biggie catching the train to shows eating burgers together hanging out and chatting learning about the craft kim told people's party that biggie taught her how to be a star to act like she was on stage at all times to dress and act like she was already famous and her loyalty to him was solidified when he introduced her to mary j blige who was an artist she grew up adoring and Diddy, who was working with Jodeci at the time, and she describes Big as someone who did everything he could to help the artist underneath him flourish. She said, Biggie made sure everybody ate and gave everybody a chance. He kicked the door and dragged everyone through. She began molding her... Waving the 4-4. Mm-hmm. Kicking the door, waving the 4-4. She began molding her style around a combination of MC Light, Salt and Pepper, and Biggie. MC Light, she said, because she was rough and strong. Salt and Pepper because of their sexual liberation. And Biggie because she said, it's Biggie. He's the greatest MC of all time. She actually also heavily name-dropped Shantae, saying that Shantae was from the streets like Lil' Kim, and she inspired a whole generation of female MCs. Now, Biggie and Jacob York, who is the president of Undius Entertainment, had heavy input in her early sound. The image that she presented on the first Junior Mafia album and in studio sessions was apparently too masculine and too gruff. So York and his label try to push her into more feminine territory, and Biggie agreed. Now Lance Rivera, the legendary record exec, he said this, When I first met Lil' Kim, her aggression was Fredro from Onyx, and Big hated it. When we were making the Junior Mafia album, and she did Backstabbers, he heard the tone in her voice, and he said, this is it. He said, now you appeal to my manliness from a music standpoint. Now, the success of Junior Mafia obviously helped Kim hugely. They dropped their debut album, Conspiracy, in 1995, and it blew up. Players Anthem and Get Money both charted in the Hot 100 Top 20. The album debuted at number 8, 69K first week, which is massive. And Kim fucking skated. On Players Anthem, she dropped one of the best verses of her entire career. She said she wasn't even meant to be on that song. She says... I remember when I was writing for Players Anthem, I wasn't even supposed to be on that song for Junior Mafia. They just put the beat on and I was writing to it. None of the boys could finish their raps. So Clark Kent was like, Kim, I know you got something. Go in the booth. I went in the booth. I spit that exact verse and they kept it. The other person that was supposed to be on there ended up not being on there. So they put me on there. Now, Clark Kent was one of Kim's biggest supporters and motivators. She said he believed in her from the jump. And, you know, there were rumors around this time that Diddy wouldn't sign Lil' Kim to Bad Boy because he didn't believe a female rapper could go platinum. But what is not a rumor, and is very much true, is that Diddy thought Kim was too pretty 
to be a rapper. Kim told Sway, Biggie did bring me to Puffy. He said she's too pretty to be rapping. Female rappers don't look like her. What am I supposed to do with her? In a 2011 interview, Lil' Kim told MTV that her and Diddy were no longer on speaking terms after all their disagreements, you know, decades of disagreements. Diddy didn't visit her in jail in 2005 with Kim saying, I'm bothered by his actions because I rolled with Puffy to the bitter end and still would have rolled with him. Puffy never came to see me in prison, not one time. He didn't write me a letter. He didn't say here's a number for Kim to call, not one time. Now, if you want more examples of Diddy acting like a shit-tier human, just go listen to our bad boy retrospective because this is not an isolated incident. But yeah, man, this all led up to... Can't stop, won't stop. This all led up to the debut album, Hardcore. If you want to jump on that, Charlie, talk about uh, how you feel about this one. <laughs> I can only imagine the fucking outrage that people had. Like, I this is the fir- this is honestly like the first time, uh, where I was listening to an album, and uh, I had it on my laptop, just sitting here, door open, uh, in my bedroom, and I felt like I had to uh, <laughs> either turn the volume down or just like it's not safe for work, is it? <laughs> close, close my close my bedroom. Bro. But even with that said, I'm just like I probably shouldn't do that. That sends an even worse uh. message. Just like. Because, my gosh, bro. Now, luckily, I was walking the dog while I was doing this. So, <laughs> so if I listen to this particular album, and I did that purposefully. Um, but, yeah, just um, just coming up my house and just hearing a dude just, like, just bashes meat, like, to, 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 <laughs> to a Kim porno. Well, it's just not it, man. It's just, I'm sorry. It's, it's not it. I get it. I'm here, you know, just artistically. I get it. I'm here for it, but fuck no, um, not happening. Even it's so hilarious. It's so it's so. Even reading the genius uh, description of it is hilarious. It's just like, <laughs> uh, the patron is then heard walking from the concession stand into the screen room. Little Kim and a man are heard moaning and having sex. Porno music is heard in the background. The patron unzips his zipper. A splashing noise is heard. <laughs> the patron splashing noise. It's so. A splashing noise. Like, Jesus Christ, how wet are you, my guy? Fuck it up. Anyway, um, did you use the butter? I don't know. Anyway, um, I feel like this album's interesting in a way where, like, I I don't know why, but I feel like there's too many men on it, if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like this would have been better if it was just Lil' Kim and just Lil' Kim. Like, I feel like Biggie turns up too much on here. Um... With that said, I don't mind most of the features. Uh, you know, Jay Z and Lil Cease on Big Mama Things, decent. I like that track. Um, but it's the ones I, I think the best tracks to me are the ones with just Kim, like a uh, scream, uh, scheme, scheming, uh, Queen Bitch is is he dreams? Uh, that that particular, yeah, that is um a bit from Queen Bitch. Uh, first uh, first verse is just he like. Uh, bitch of that platinum grammar. I'm a diamond hu- cluster hustler, queen bitch, supreme bitch, kill a nigga for my nigga by any means, bitch, murder scene, bitch, clean bitch, disease free bitch. Check it, I write a rhyme, melt in your mouth like M&M's. Roll with the mafia, remember them. Tell them when I uh when I used to mess with them with gentlemen, straight up apostles, now strictly niggas that jostle. Kill a nigga for the figure, how you figure? Your cheddar would be better. Beretta inside of Beretta, nobody do it better. <laughs> I wet you like hurricanes and typhoons. Got buffoons eating my pussy while I watch cartoons. 
Sleep till noon. Rat pa- Pam Greer's here. Baby drinkers are where mostly Dolce wear. It's just, it's just heat. It's just heat. So the 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 greatest thing I find about Kim is just the obviously the wordplay is just top tier, like just top tier wordplay throughout. Um, but I, I I think um and and my my comment on the on the male side of it of, of just like having you know a, two tracks of junior featuring Junior Mafia, um. Uh, Biggie on a couple of tracks, Diddy on No Time. <laughs> wow, was that was that unnecessary? Um, yeah, I just I, that's that's kind of a nitpick to be honest. I do really enjoy the album, and I can imagine just the absolute uproar that came with this particular album. It is just so unapologetic. It's crazy. Um, but with that said, it, because of that, is obviously such an iconic album um, in in more ways than one. So. Uh. No, a hundred percent. I mean, look, pre pre hardcore was quite a is is difficult for Lil Kim. She was going through a lot, and this was even before we add in the complication of her romantic relationship with Biggie, which is incredibly complex, tortured, and at times abusive. Lil Kim admits to having been choked till she passed out. Jermaine Dupri exposed the story on Drink Champs in 2017, alleging that Biggie pulled a gun on Lil Kim in a recording studio, and Lil Kim said this. The story is not exactly how he said it, but it's very close to the truth. We did have a very violent relationship. I hate that, but for a while, that was all I attracted. It is what it is. He was everything. You know how it is when you're in the music industry. The guys get you whatever you want, but you can't do shit. You can't do nothing. Obviously, Biggie married Faith Evans. He dated Charlie Baltimore. Lil Kim fell pregnant with Biggie's child and had an abortion during the recording of Hardcore. And Jacob York said this, it was kind of a sad album at that point because she was going through that personal relationship with Biggie. If you listen to the original hardcore album, there's no Lil' Kim verse on Crush On You, it's just C's. Because I just said, fuck it, we're putting this single on it and we're going to use it to propel his career because I'm not going to get any more music out of her. Lance Rivera said this about how he planned to market Lil' Kim. Remembering, of course, Diddy refused to sign her, so she was left with Rivera. And you remember uh, Lance Rivera, that's the person that Jay-Z allegedly stabbed in the Kit Kat, Kit Kat Club for uh, leaking Volume 3. And he actually met Biggie on a street corner and offered to finance his career. And he created a label, Undius Recording, under Atlantic. And he was given Junior Mafia to marry, uh, marry, manage. He would later go on to sign Cameron and Charlie Baltimore. But Rivera said this of Little Kim. My strategy when it comes to Kim, she wasn't the wife. She was the high-end side chick to drug dealers. We placed her in a world that we were living in. And it was, you wear all the finest things because the number one drug dealer, you're his side chick. And he buys you everything. It's all driven by male male hormones, male ego, the fantasy. It's not about love. It's about being nasty. Now, the album cover for Hardcore was actually chosen by Biggie, and she tells the story in numerous ways, but XXL story is most of the point. He threw the negatives on the table and pointed to the one with my legs open and said, that's the one right there. Now, Clover Hope's beautiful essay had this passage, and I'll read it word for word. Kim, at some point, decided to own that persona, becoming a dream girl men envisioned, rap's ultimate sex symbol, praised for both her skills and her salesmanship of fucking. Before Kim, the top-selling women rappers Queen Latifah, MC Light, Salt and Pepper had all been about challenging sexism and hip-hop. Lil Kim brought a raw sexual energy to the genre and became the model for a generation of female rappers caught in a battle between owning their sexuality and exploiting it. 
She made the concept of a female rapper with a sexy visual to go with her music, not a choice, but a necessity. Now, Lil' Kim says in interviews, and I'm not going to give a subjective judgment on her tone when she tells these stories, because I don't want to put intent in her words, but she speaks of hearing stories people being killed in prison over the hardcore album art, that it was a commodity. She also told People's Party, so many women were hating on me, I was surprised because it wasn't tasteless, it was classy, it was cute. Now, unlike the brat who organically refused to be pushed in the direction male record execs were pushing her, Lil' Kim embraced this persona because it is who she is. Even the essay by Clover Hope seems to insinuate that Lil' Kim was coerced into this image. But as we'll see in the next few years, Kim's world crumbled around her. You know, the people who pushed her in those directions left her life, but she persisted with it. She owned it, she lived it, and it became her legacy. It's hardly accurate to say that she was merely playing a role her whole career. She told Paper Magazine, We all had to do a lot with my career. We have a lot of input. I would say that it was me who just started it because I would have to do it and feel comfortable. You know what I mean? You can't really make someone into something and it works all the time. That person has to be a natural. Now, Rivera said of the lyrics on Hardcore, she wrote mo the majority of the album. Biggie wrote a few songs. All of the singles that she's ever been on that were hits, she wrote those verses herself. Prodigy testified that she wrote every bar of a verse on the Quiet Storm remix, which a lot of people point to as one of the greatest guest verses of all time. Jacob York said she wrote her singles. Get money, she wrote that motherfucker. She wrote No Time. It was more about her being taught how to rap because Lil' Kim always understood what to write, but sometimes she would go places. She goes back to that girl on the block with a deep voice. Now, I like Jacob York's perspective. Um, this is another this is another excerpt sorry, from Motherlode by Clover Hope, and this is referencing Jacob York. York says he and Revere wrote the porn star reference in Kim's verse on Junior Mafia's I Need You Tonight when she name-drops Vanessa Del Rio. But for Big Mama thing, he says Kim wrote the references to two famous mid-90s porn stars, Heather Hunter and Janet Jackme. I don't think it was that we were forcing the words into her mouth as much as we emancipated what she felt she could and couldn't do. Lil' Kim is what you heard in those records. So I love that. I love that idea. But in the very next paragraph on that Clover Hope uh, essay, she says... But Lil' Kim was shaped by men who got to dictate how she would be marketed. So, like, this is the thing. And it's everyone, 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 everyone. They, they giveth and they taketh away. They're like, you know, Lil' Kim has been liberated and, and this is Lil' Kim. And But then in the next sentence, they're like, but, but, but. It's like, shut up and just let her be. Like, look, if you're a woman who wants to have sex with a man and your lyrics are about attracting a man to have sex with them, how is that an issue? At its essence, there is no issue. The criticism comes from outside sources. Like, Biggie was abusive, so how is this album healthy? Lil' Kim was being shaped by male record execs, so how could it be about liberation? I'm convinced no one making these claims has actually listened to Lil' Kim or Hardcore, and I'm not here to pass judgment on whether she is supremely liberated or suffering from deep-seated Stockholm Syndrome. I'm just going off her own words and her own authenticity and her own patterns. And like, look, man, this, this album is just full of wild fucking bars. She opens the album with, I used to be scared of the dick. Now I throw lips to the shit. Handle it like a real bitch. Heather Hunter, Janet Jackme, take it in the butt. Bro, that's how she opened her debut album. Uh, fucking hell, great. man. Love it. Fucking amazing. Okay. So, yeah, look. It's a, look. Dolores Tucker called this album filth, so you know it must be fucking fire. That's it.
Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Have you been on sex one? Mm. Yeah, Notorious Kim. <clears throat> yeah, Notorious K I M. Um, well, might as well, since we're doing lyrics, let's do lyrics. To all my motherfuckers getting money hoes, boosters, selling clothes, and all my ghetto bitches in the projects coming through like bulldozers. No, we ain't sober, but I'm bitches know better than to start shit. Niggas love a hard bitch. One they get up in a nigga's ass quicker than an enema. <coughs> make a cat bleed, then sprinkle it with vinegar. What? Wow. Kidnap the senator, make him call his wife and say he's never coming home. Kim got him in the zone, beating they dicks. <laughs> Even got some of these straight chicks rubbing their tits. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm loving this shit. Queen bitch. What bitch you know could thug it like this? Imagine if I was a dude and hitting cats from the back with no strings attached. Yeah, nigga, picture that. I treat your niggas like you'll treat us, no doubt. Hey, yo, 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 come here, cause I can bust in your mouth. <laughs> it's just great, man. Suck my dick is an absolute elite track. Le- legendary. Track. Legendary track. But um, yeah, man, it's just, I think, I feel, honestly, I call it hardcore part two. I feel like it's kind of that. But even with that said, I feel like it's low-key a little bit better because there are really genuinely some... Uh, a little bit more variety on here. Obviously, you have um, "I'm Human" on the last uh, as the last track, uh, which is very just obviously. Um, uh, 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 yeah, yeah, I'm human. Yeah, yeah, that's that. And then there's also the uh, the one with Mary J. Blige uh, before that with "Hold On," um, that is just very, very, very Mary J. Blige kind of all over that. Um, it's like yeah, it kind of gives off Mary J. Blige, but little. It, it's a it's a Mary J. Blige track, but Lil Kim's done like a, a kind of version of it, and obviously got her for like just some sort of uh, what's the words? Kind of like authenticity, a rubber st- stamp of approval kind of thing. Um, but yeah, man, even with this, oh how it hurts like childbirth. The wounds heal slow. You just don't know. At times, I don't know what to say. What I do is pray day to day, but still, I feel my strength might die. Like right now, I'm trying hard not to cry. It's deep. Like she gets real deep with it. Um, Frank White, the man with the money and the fame, passed away. Now bitches want to... Oh, for crying out loud. I was reading the lyrics now. I've, I've accidentally tried to log in. Passed away. Now bitches want to claim his name. I've been with my nigga before he came in the game. No ones, no Vs. We used to take the train. Literally just what you were talking about at the beginning of like their initial relationship. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 really, it's really a deeper, deeper cut um, in, in more ways than one. Um, so yeah, I kind of actually prefer this album out of the two, just because of that variety. Because to have something like, uh, 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 like Hold On, and even something like Aunt Dot, which is very fascinating. Um, but then something like Suck My Dick and How Many Licks with Cisco, <laughs> right? Absolutely outstanding. Anything with Cisco on it is gonna be a wild. You just song. know, you just, you just, you just know it's gonna be fucking nasty, Sex. like, bro. This is crazy, like, uh, uh, stop looking, listen, get back to your position. Kim got your dick hard, starting fights in the yard, hotter than a pop tart, fresh out the toaster. Niggas do anything for a little Kim poster. Essays, bloods, crips, all the thugs up north in the hole. They want to know how many licks. It's it's great. It's it's just great. It's it's it's, it's a really honestly a low key just a very underrated album. I feel obviously you know uh, hardcore gets all the you know the legacy talk because of just the fact that it was a debut out her debut album and she just came out you know literally again kicking the door waving the four four um, in a lot of ways. 
But this one just has a lot of variety to it that I really enjoy, actually. And uh, the production ain't bad as well. I really don't mind the production on it. It's a really, very, very decent album and very underrated in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Look, man, Notorious K.I.M. is one of the biggest albums we've ever covered on this podcast. And I want to impress upon you the scope of it, all the listeners, because hardcore drops and influences a generation of artists. Biggie and Kim are engaged in tabloid-worthy trysts, as, and as Lauren Hill and Foxy Brown press female MCs to the forefront of the mainstream conversation, people look back on hardcore and realize it was actually the genesis of something. It was the creation of an entirely new lane of content, and not a cute little aside in an experimental artist discography, a blockbuster record, genuinely. Now, Lil' Kim was always on stage. She dressed in leather bikers' outfits with a helmet, an I dream of genie gown with a mask and lingerie. She would dress up like a blow-up doll. She became a fashion icon with everything ostentatious. In a video for No Time, she wore hot pants in the World Trade Center. Christina Murray, who was the head of the Black Music Publicity at Atlantic Records, and yes, that is obviously an arm that Atlantic once had, she said this, Everybody wanted to dress her, photograph her, put makeup on her. Annie Leibovitz, Bruce Weber, you have artists that would say no, but Kim was not like that. Kim, they want to do your hair like this. Kim was never like no. She saw what they saw in her and she was open to all things. And Clover Hope's essay is another interesting excerpt. She says, The press framed Kim's career with varying degrees of praise and concern. For its February 97 magazine cover, the source featured Little Kim and Foxy Brown back to back with the cover line Sex and Hip Hop, Harlots or Heroines. For its October 2000 issue, Ebony published a piece about Lil' Kim as an American sex symbol, asking, Is the mainstream ready for Lil' Kim? Essence put Kim on the cover that same month with the line, The Big Problem with Lil' Kim. So, like, the turmoil around her sexuality was only matched by that around her relationship to Notorious Big, because Faith Evans and Lil' Kim had multiple physical fights. And with Big's passing in 97, all of these stories began to filter out. Lil' Kim allegedly pulled a gun on Faith Evans once. There was another incident when Faith caught Lil' Kim and Big in a hotel room and they got into a full-on fist fight. In the Vibe interview from 97, Lil' Kim said, I wanted to be with him and he knew that it couldn't happen. That was my heart, my mentor, my boy. And you're absolutely right. I was a mistress, but I hated the fact that's what I stood for. I put him before him. And when she says him, she means God. You know? Now... Lil' Kim was still expanding her empire in the late 90s. She was in She's All That, which is a movie that smashed the 100 million mark at the uh, the box office. She'd become embroiled in a nasty beef with Foxy Brown. They had a collab album entitled Thelma and Louise, but it was scrapped, and they became very cold on each other. And, like, calling her album Notorious K.I.M. is a wild thing to do. I want to set the scene here because in the year 2000, People were deeply protective of Notorious Big's legacy and his narrative. Any criticism was met with outright rejection, and Little Kim and Big's relationship did not reflect kindly on Notorious Big. And you could argue that she took a huge risk by doing that. But it went number four on the Billboard 200, 229k first week, and I think this is her best album. I will live happily on this hill until I die of old age because. 
The raw energy on here is intense. It's the perfect mix of the lyricism and cadence of the first album, the introspection and storytelling of her later work, and the pinnacle of Lil' Kim's popularity. And this is something very clear about Lil' Kim. She thrives on having people watching her. When she's the center of attention, she fucking skates. And I think Aunt Dot is one of the greatest hip-hop songs ever made because it's speaking in depth about menstruation and walking listeners through the emotions and internal dialogue that comes with it. She actually speaks to her little cousin, but it's her vocals that are pitched. So she said they did have Lil Shanice on there, but she actually fell asleep during the recording because she was so young. So Lil Kim finished a song and she said she pitched her vocals the way that Biggie did on Gimme the Loot. Now on the stunning Hold On with Mary Jage Blige, she talks about the pain of having an abortion and she raps, It hurts like childbirth, the wounds heal slow, you just don't know. At times I don't know what to say, all I do is pray day to day. But still I feel my strength might die like now. I'm trying hard not to cry, even when I close my eyes I still see it. And still, still, she's so fucking overt with it, people didn't get it. I just don't understand this. In a Washington Post interview written by uh, Crystal Brantzuk, the writer opens with, In a nondescript warehouse in Manhattan's Chelsea district, the rapper Lil' Kim is being primed for yet another fashion shoot. Change your circumstances only slightly, and you could imagine a porn shoot happening in this warehouse. The final products, the photographs that will sell Kim's raunchy lyrics and persona to the world, often come close to that. But nobody seems bothered by the actual work of this shoot, least of all Kim, who patiently strips down. Quite the contrary, she considers herself a good role model, an empowered independent woman in the highly misogynistic world of rap. Her rap fans include many young women who find in her an enviable example of personal strength. Like, bro, give it and they take us away. And a year prior, Lil' Kim turned up to the MTV Music Awards in the now iconic outfit which left one of her breasts exposed and unsupported. Stunning imagery. Still, people didn't know how to place her, what to write about her. In that same Washington Post interview, she has to actually bring up Hold On herself. She says, I talk about the things that women have gone through that they don't think I've gone through, like fighting with your man or losing a man to death, being alone. I talk about just being in the streets and having no money and having to do illegal things to get the money. Like she... Like Notorious Kim had more pressure on it, I think, than any album by a female rapper in history. Even Pink Friday. You know, you you and I spoke about Pink Friday and, and we said it had probably the most pressure on it of any debut in hip hop because of just what Nicki Minaj had created prior to that and the guests that she had on there, the money that was behind it. Like that was an expensive album. And if that didn't hit, if that sold 20K first week, that's game over, right? But it's the same here. You know, Lil' Kim, she she couldn't come out and sell 20K and go top 50. She had to go top 10. She had to hit. She had to keep eyes on her. And she had to do that whilst proving to people that she wasn't a construct of male ego and male desire, despite how desirable she was to the male ego. This was a line that she had to walk on this record that she didn't have to on her debut. In the four years since it dropped, she was dissected from every angle by feminists, by misogynistic men, by talk show hosts, with journalists. You know, the kind of dweebs you'd expect to clutch their chests if you mention the word labia. Like, oh my god, you said labia? Holy shit. Like, you know, the Ben Shapiro types, the fucking triggered by women types like the incel types and on notorious kim she showed that it was never even in doubt you know this is who lil kim is so how the fuck could she fail and that's why i fucking love this album man 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, that is an inter- that's an interesting wrinkle, given it of just how much pressure there was to it. And uh, I didn't really think of that. But yeah, you're probably right, honestly, in terms of just like uh, a female in hip hop. I don't think, um, I don't think you could uh, you could you can get that much uh, higher stakes in terms of just like uh, the effort put into it as well. Um, even with that said, though, like <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing like Rolling Stone gave it a three star. I was like, where? Like how? <laughs> Metacritic 65, I don't know how that worked. Uh, oh, wait, I'm looking at Labella Mafia. <laughs> I've skipped. Yeah, but, uh, well, speaking of which, I agree with that, honestly, Labella Mafia, because I feel like yeah. um, I feel like this is kind of a step back, if, on a th- if if anything. I don't know why. First of all, why is the clean version only on Spotify? Yeah, like, that annoyed the off. shit out of me. Oh, that jarred me. Oh, my gosh. No, I don't want there, the, pe- pe- there is nothing that pe- peeves me more than a clean version of an album that just can't be cleaned. I'm sorry, you can't. you can't clean it. You just can't fucking clean it. Stop trying. It's it's stupid. Um, yeah, that's that's something that I feel like has been given up on after after like uh, Spotify and streaming came about, which is probably low key a positive, honestly for me. I'm just like, there's no point. There's no point of having a clean version of anything. Like you know, there's been there's been even even like um R and B from like the '60s like had dirty shit like, but they just worded differently. Like they didn't they didn't they weren't as overt. Um, except some, except if you're like I don't know, Boosie Collins. Anyway, but um, yeah, um, La Bella Mafia. I don't know. I'm just, I was in, I was, yeah. C- considering of how like impressive Notorious KM was, just this just seemed like such a step back for me. Um, I do love the uh Denise uh Denise Williams uh, uh interpolation on Can't Fuck with Queen B or on the clean version Can't Mess with Queen Ooh, B. Yeah. Um I just love I love I love that song uh, by Denise Williams Free. I love it to death. And uh, that was just a really, really uh faithful um in some ways <laughs> rendition of the track. Uh, very solid. Uh but past that I just I don't know. I got the magic stick. No, mm-hmm. not here for that. Not here for that at all. Terrible song. But funny. But I can. But I can see why. I can see why that was a single. I can really. I can really see why. It's, eight, it's 2003, 50s on like you know like on the come up. Like I can see. I can understand why that was a single and why that was. Maybe we so just hard, we just don't have fuck. we don't have the magic stick. That could be. <laughs> maybe it's probably not made. Maybe we're just trash and when it's not made for us. Ben. 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 Speak for yourself, homie. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just, uh, it's just, I just ate like milk. That that's a very two thousands record. Uh, that's a very two thousand song, and uh, not in a good way. Um, this is a warning. Um, just uh, yeah, big no on that front. Uh, just with the fact that it's uh, just got R. Kelly all over that. Um, oh, fucking hell, like I, I mean, I don't mind Thug Love. Um and uh, Twister has turned up a couple of times in front um Kim's discography. I'm yeah, not, I like it. I'm not. I'm not. Ha- I'm not hating on that, but it's kind of it, it. kind of goes back to the hardcore th- uh, point nitpick I was getting at, where I'm just like, oh, so you just want Twister to take the track? Okay, fine, sure, if you want, like, because that's what Twister's gonna do. He's gonna take the track and basically just become the reason why people listen to it. That's that's the that's the that's the risk you take when you have Twister on your track. He will dominate you. Like I'm, I'm sorry. Just no, I honestly, I don't think Twister's like been beaten when he's featured somebody. Like, like honestly, think of a, think of a track. Honestly, I, I do. But um, that's a bit. You know, you don't have. You can think about it if you want, but uh, you know, that's that's a bit of a, 
left you left you hanging out in the in the rain there. Well, but, um, no, the one the one time I think Twister got done was is that your chick with Jay Z and Missy, and I think that look, I just that? that was Jay. Well, it was originally Memphis Bleak's track, and then Jay Z took it from Memphis Bleak and got rid of Memphis Bleak and put Twister on it and released it. I think it was a single. It might not have even been a single. He put it on, I think it was volume three. And everyone on that track had a better verse than Twister. But Bleak's verse, Bleak actually had the best verse on the whole thing, but Jay-Z removed Bleak and put Twister on it. So that's the only time I can think of where I'm like, okay, Twister got, got done there. Okay, okay, Ben, your Jay-Z show, okay. Hey, I just I just said Memphis Bleak outrap Jay Z. Like that's not a Stan thing. Although I, I am uh, a Memphis Bleak Stan, so. Oh, good. For you. Fuck. <laughs> hey. Whoa. Oh come on, bro. That's a re- that's a that's a that's a that's a no. A, no, on, that's a small no, club. That's no, a small club. Sl- no slander accepted <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> of Memphis Bleak. No. <laughs> that's a small club, my G. No. I'm no, just being no, factual, no. bro. All facts. All facts. Um, uh, this is who I am is a big no for me. Um, wasn't into that at all. Um, big up to Swizzy. Um, hold Swizzy. it now with ha- hold hold it now with Havoc. It's okay, but yeah, honestly, oh, shaky bum bum was horrible. I've got oh god, yeah, it's a rough um, one. Yeah, and why is why is the beehive eight minutes? I've, n- I've oh my gosh, it's so long and it just doesn't pay off at all. That's one of the like. We we didn't we did not talk about how like big of a risk posse cuts are. Like I've put scenario I've put the scenario remix on my regular rotation because I just really want to get the ad I really want to get the uh the ad the ad libs on there, like down pat. Um ooh, ah, ooh, ah. you know, I mean just if you know you know. But damn, that was just not worth it. That email was not worth it. Bunky um, S A V and Saint, Saint from, from the, the Ad for Kids. Ad for kids. I look, I don't know a lot about hip hop, but I don't know who any of those people are. No offense. Thank, thank you, thank you. I was, I didn't want to say it, but I, no I was offense. like, wow, I, 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 I legit do I don't not mean know. to be disrespectful, yeah, no, but I, I've never, I haven't heard yeah. those names before in my yeah. life. I'm sorry. Yeah. Overall, um, yeah, this album's a bit, uh, just, yeah, it's a bit, it's a really bit of a step back, like, um, just in every way. I just feel, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just seems like, it really just seems a bit phoned in, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, look, this album is much darker and more intense because it, it comes amongst genuine turmoil. So in 2001, Lil' Kim left Junior Mafia and ended all ties she had with Diddy. In 2001, three members of Lil' Kim's entourage were arrested after allegedly shooting someone in Brooklyn. Lil' C's was one of those people who was arrested. And Lil' Kim, of course, she scaled some heights. In 2002, Lady Marmalade came out. Christina Aguilera, June. Maya June. Pink. Number one on the Hot 100. How old what, was I? 2000, six I was years four, old. I was Ooh. 14, and I tell you what, man, I was <laughs> I was 14. <laughs> okay. <laughs> bruv, bruv, yeah, I know about yeah, about that. Nah, nah, nah. I, was, oh, I was, I was, I had so, I, in the back of my head, I was just like, this is interesting, but I don't know why. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> quite, I could go to cipher it, but bruv. Yeah. Oh, I knew why at 14, man. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Cause dirty, dirty came out the same year, and like, oh my. Anyway, anyway. So by by December of two, if you don't know what I'm, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, go watch the video, man. Oh, bro, if you are, if you haven't, you're in for a fucking treat. That's... Shout out to the Zoomers that haven't spun this yet. Fuck. Oh, that that's gonna be. 
Bad Video is top tier. Fuck me. Yeah. So it sold 5.2 million copies worldwide in this in 20, uh, 2002 alone, and it won a Grammy. It was the longest running all woman hip hop collab. Uh, sorry, all women collab, not hip hop. Um, just in general, on the Billboard Hot 100 Top 40. Now she also appeared in Zoolander. Uh, three more movies before this record drop. She was in Def Jam's Five for NY, multiple TV shows. A lot of people point to this album as her best. Now the title was meant to be Holly. I know the title was meant to be Hollywood, but after watching the '97 film La Bella Mafia, she decided to lift that title wholesale. And she said, "Any," as she told MTV, "Any girl who's strong and very dedicated to what they do and don't take no mess, they can be part of La Bella Mafia." Number five, Billboard 200, 166k first week, which is epic. Production list is god tier. Uh, Swiss Beats, Havoc, Scott Storch, Timberland, Kanye West, Charmani XL. Magic Stick actually remains her best performing song aside from Lady Marmalade. It went number two on the Hot 100, despite the fact that it is, it is trash. Uh, 50 Cent's Candy Shop is a significantly better version of that song. And the energy on this record is a lot darker. She said she was working with Dr. Dre in 2002. She expressed the desire to work with Eminem as well, although that didn't happen. You know, Twister, as Charlie said, is on here. They formed a really nice collaborative partnership. Um, uh, look, it, she... Sh- she shines on the contemporary production like this is who i am the jump off can you hear me now with missy is brilliant get in touch with us was actually really disappointing uh that was the track with with uh styles p i think the beat was fire the song was just lackluster and i think the problem was that kim was trying to move into some different sounds and and they just weren't hitting there was not fruitful territory for her and we'll see that become vibrantly apparent on her next two albums because i think this was the beginning of the end of quality for me with Lil' Kim. I think her next two albums are pretty mm. tough. That's interesting. That's an interesting, um, that's an interesting point. Um, I don't know. I don't mind the naked truth. Um, I, I, I actually generally didn't mind it. Um, and I did, and I did say, um, I, I did get tripped up on, um, Notorious K.M. getting bad reviews, but it actually did. Like, got, again, three stars from Rolling Stone, three and a half from The Source, which, don't know what the fuck you lot with this too, but anyway. Um, well, but yeah, the crazy, I, I, crazy thing is the source gave the Naked Truth a five, and they gave <laughs> the Tories. Oh, they did. Five mics. It's, yeah, it's the only five mic female rap album in history. Is it? Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I just need to think about that one. I'm just like, how long did, did how long did the source give, been running? Like, fuck. Like, what did they give Miseducation? <laughs> it's give been it's been running since '88. Are you serious? Yes. Source been around. It's not. That don't make no source, sense. It does though, because we've done heaps of times on this podcast. We've talked about the source, like running competitions in the late '80s, and Master Ace being at competitions that the source is running, and like they discovered Biggie in like '91. Like the source of the source knew they've been around. I know, but it's just that's just like it's po- like at some at one point, as we've mentioned several times over the years, where it's, it's it was like the the hip hop magazine of record, you know. And just thinking about that, like that's just silly. That that does not make sense to me. But with that said, I do really like the Naked Truth. I really love the honesty to it. I I enjoy Lighters Up. Um, I like that. It's very it's very different. Um, I forget what it reminds me of. Uh, it does remind me of like a certain like uh, track, particular track. I won't get it, so let's continue. Um, 
dirty. I had like this. Uh, there's obviously a bit of a you know Caribbean reggae kind of vibe. I didn't mind that. Um, but you know you have stuff like Gimme That, Kitty Box. Uh, you know, you, so you still have the sexual stuff in here. Um, <laughs> I t- I I like you enjoy Sharp Bitch. I like I like the I like the just like you know back it back up kind of uh, essence towards that. Um, Last Days, cool as well. But yeah, um, and, you know Chronic, which um doesn't have a Snoop Dogg verse, even though Snoop Dogg's in it. I just I found that a bit weird. I, was, I don't know, found that a bit odd. Um, but yeah, I I I like this album. I I actually I really do. I think like it's um in terms of listen to list in terms of what I'd listen to. I'd probably like put Kim and Notorious KM and then this and then Hardcore. Um, that sounds like blasphemy, but the source gave this five st- five mics and no other female album in history. So, am I really the enemy here? Get off me. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy this album. I really like it. Yeah, I mean, it's not my favorite album, but look, <laughs> on on I mean, on tonight. There's more turmoil around this album. On the March 17 of 2005, Lil' Kim was convicted of three counts of conspiracy and one count of perjury for lying to a grand jury about an involvement in a shooting that occurred outside Hot 97. Uh, that was in 01, that shooting. She claimed to have not seen D-Rock and uh, Swift Jackson at the scene, but security camera footage disproved her and directly contravened her testimony. So she was sentenced to one year in prison in July 2005. One of the worst parts about it was that Lil C's testified against her, something he would publicly apologize for in 2019. By this stage, Lil Kim was being attacked on all fronts. Her beef with Foxy Brown continued in the lead up to this record. In 2003, Foxy Brown said in an interview that Lil Kim was jealous of Foxy. Uh, But she also did say this, Kim is the only female artist that keeps me on my toes. She's the only one I can look at. And any other artist that said they don't have that one person that keeps them driven is lying. But Lil Kim also had beef with Eve. It's alleged that Eve dissed Lil' Kim on Let Me Let Me Blow Your Mind. And of course, Lil' Kim dropped Came Back For You in 2003. They did squash that beef in 2007, or it, it, it did pop up again in 2017. And then 50 Cent. 50 Cent dissed her on Piggy Bank. And that didn't seem to knock her too far off course. They, they didn't actually really engage in a back and forth, although she did throw some bars at him on this record. But they they uh, they reunited when she was released from prison in 07. And prison was clearly weighing heavily upon her. She does numerous interviews around this time and plays it off as something that she just has to endure. She told the Baltimore Sun, I definitely don't feel I got what I deserved, but naturally she couldn't speak on the legal matters at that time. In that same interview, she speaks on feeling betrayed by Lil C's. Um, she said, get them out of here. She tells the interviewer she learned not to trust people as much prior to this record. Believe it or not, you know, Five mics, man. Five fucking mics. It's, look, I just I think it's a bit of a mess. MTV reported it was recorded in just a week, and to me that kind of shows. I think the skits are interminable. Don't want the skits. I think the beats are rough. That track with the game, Quiet. Oh my god, man. That sounds like a kids bop version of Dr. Dre. That was <laughs> uh, what was that? And Lil Kim uh... is angry on this record, and it's palpable, but it does not translate to good music for me. I think when she tried to go into different sounds. It just didn't work for me, just personally. I, I wasn't I wasn't the biggest fan of this record. Um, mm. But it, it was just, it felt like the end. It, it really felt like, you know, obviously it she went to prison. To be honest. I, yeah, well, but... talk, speak on it. Speak on I, it. I, 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 there's not much to speak on, bro. <laughs> there's not much to speak on. Like, funny, I will say this, and I'll give, give Kim credit on this front, where I, I, where I constantly bitch and moan 
about how long albums are sometimes. Not con- well, constantly, so- sometimes oxymoronic. But anyway, sometimes I bitch about length of albums, okay? I haven't bitched about it yet. Um, I think the only one that feels too long for me is La Bella Mafia. But, you know, that's kind of it. Naked Truth and Taurus KM over an hour, and I think they're worth they're worth that time. Um, you could you could find obviously the skits, you know, could uh, of the Naked Truth could you know be uh, gone. So you can make it. You could I could get that under an hour if I really wanted to. Um, but nine is half an hour, pretty much, within change. Thank God for that. Um, and it's you know, sure, you know, what I mean, it's nine tracks. That's why it's called nine. Get it? Like, um, ah, I see the vision. Ah, deep, deep research. That's the deepest research you've had all episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Fuck off, ben, what Ben's done this week. I got you right there. <laughs> <laughs> wipe that, wipe that on the board. Um, Jesus. Charlie one, Ben zero. Um, well, I, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll tell. I can tell people why she called it nine, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna skate on Charlie like that. Let's just give Charlie this little win here, guys, Shut and we'll just up. keep it moving. Tell me what. Tell me why I called it. Well, I, I, nine, really have, I have nothing to. I have nothing to this. I. I don't. I, I don't really. Yeah, I. The the features the features aren't there for me. Like I don't really see why Rick Ross doesn't pray for me again. Like that's because we don't like Rick. We, yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, you know, but I can say that objectively and subjectively. You know what I mean? So, it, it does it happen? Is it a surprise that it's both? No, but it is what it is. Um, you know, Rich the Kid on Catch My Wave. Not really into that. Um, City Girls is you know City Girls. I found you, but the rest of it, I just yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Just, I just don't really see the need for this for this album in particular. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I didn't write down exactly why it was called nine because I didn't really want to, I didn't care that much. But it is a very important number for Lil' Kim. Um, she just said that it just came to her, the idea to call it nine. A whole bunch of nines were lining up in her life. It's always been her favorite number. It's always been a spiritual number for her. And 2019, like, it just made sense to her to release it. And the funny thing is, I distinctly remember reviewing this on the very on this podcast and I praised it. I actually said Lil Kim is a legend for a reason, but I actually didn't listen to any more of my review because I could, I was doing that stupid ASMR vocal bullshit on those earlier. Hey guys, this is Ben from Hip Hop Numbers. I really like Lil Kim. It was so boring, and I listened back to myself. I'm like, what were you doing? You're a loser. Shut up. But I do remember saying Lil' Kim can do whatever kind of music she wants and she's adept on any beat you throw at her. She actually told a few interviews uh, that the sound that she'd been working on in the 2010s had been stolen. So when defending Nine from criticism, that, that was the thing that she said. People were saying it was too far of a departure from her previous work and too intent on hopping on the mainstream sound. But her defense was that she was doing this sound before everyone else. She just didn't get a chance to release it before it was stolen. It's not clear who she was referring to. It is clear, but like she doesn't say it ex- overtly, but it's Nicki Minaj. She said that Nicki Minaj stole this sound from her. So the scene that I want to set here is Lil' Kim does her year in jail, and 30 days of house arrest. She comes out and she feels good. She said that she enjoyed her time in jail. She said, not enjoyed, but like she said, it wasn't as bad as she thought it was going to be. Now, Notorious comes out, the movie. I don't like Notorious. I didn't like it at all. I haven't seen it in a while, but I do remember Jay-Z on Rosenberg saying he also didn't like it. Firstly, because there is no Jay-Z in it. But secondly, because there are inaccuracies in it. Oh, poor him. But I mean, like, look, if you're going to do a biopic, 
how about try and make it accurate? Like there, there were things in that movie that just weren't accurate. And so Lil' Kim did not like it at all. It caused a huge rift between Lil' Kim, Faith Evans, and Biggie's mother. Lil' Kim said, I knew something was fishy about them having the writer call me. When I spoke to the writer, I felt he was trying to play me so I wouldn't give up anything. I knew I wouldn't have control of how I was depicted. There was heaps of stuff that Lil' Kim talks about, all relevant and all rational. You know, like, I would be pretty fucking pissed if... um, if someone did a picture of a biopic and I was in it and they just didn't portray me accurately, I'd be fucking angry. But like around this time, Lil' Kim got into, she got into beefs with Charlie Baltimore, Nicki Minaj, Azealia Banks, Wendy Williams, the Diddy beef picked back up again, Drake, Keisha Cole, Kia. And my perspective on all of this is, it's very difficult to navigate an industry when your popularity is beginning to wane and people still see you as a threat. So I can understand her discomfort at the way she was portrayed in Notorious. I'd be fucking pissed. Um, but like the Nicki Minaj thing, she was actually working on music with Cash Money, Lil' Kim, and it went nowhere. And then she says, she says of Nicki, she started releasing all these records, doing her vocals the way I did my vocals. It was my sound. I brought it to the table. Now, I'm not going to go into the beef because it's, it's pointless really to talk about. There's no reason. But like, yeah. look, Nine is a bad album. I'm not going to clean it up. It's, it's just not good. But it's, you liked it when it came out. I don't know what I was on that day. October 2019... Who knows? I mean, like, I go, I take so many medications. God knows what was going on with me that stage. I was fucking out of it. Maybe, I don't know. But I did like it, apparently, at one point. I don't like it now. But, like, look, man, the way that I'm going to end this pod is the narrative that emerged is one that we've run over countless times on this podcast. You know, the new artist catches super fire and a brand new image or sound or viable message. Major labels catch on and then they start pilfering it. Now, once the fruit has been harvested, they just leave the crop to decay or adapt. That's it. The, the label leaves the situation. Atlantic and Lil' Kim parted ways in 2008. Atlantic didn't try and hold her back. Lil' Kim said it was her decision, but a label will not let you go if they don't want you to go. We fucking know that. Like, You could say all you want. Oh, it was my decision to leave. Blah, blah, blah. Bro, the major label will not let you leave if they don't want you to leave. Now, independence changes that narrative. You don't have money behind you. You don't have the big videos, the big guest spots. One of the biggest power moves you can pull in life is not responding to criticism, but you can only do that successfully if your success continues. That's how you dead the criticism and move on. A lot of people say, don't respond to criticism, but if the person criticizing you is bigger than you, with a louder voice and more ammunition, you have to respond. If you're independent, anyone signed to a major label will have a louder voice than you. And we saw little Kim get mired in this in the 2010s. Whilst people weren't fully respecting her legacy, she got bogged down defending it. No one should have to defend their legacy. And I fully blame that on the bullshit press she got from 96 to 2008. Record labels who didn't give a fuck about controlling the narrative, they were just happy that any narrative existed. Lil' Kim was true, she was honest, she was open, and she was assaulted by tabloid gossip. You don't write your own legacy, it doesn't work like that. And for too long, she wasn't being uplifted as the trailblazer she was. She was being questioned, criticized, second-guessed, it was fucking nasty. And that's why all that bullshit happened towards the end of the 2000s and the start of the 2010s. She felt she had to create her own legacy because no one was doing it for her, and that is unfair. But by 2022, 
This has changed dramatically, and that warms my heart. Lil Kim is now shown as a sexual liberator, as a free free thinker, as an individualist who is not a contrarian. She wasn't an antagonist. She wasn't a shock rapper. She was who she is and has always been. And those people who don't compromise themselves despite vibrant criticism to me will always be legends. And I think Lil Kim is one of the biggest legends in the genre. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think the biggest thing for me coming out of this and coming out of listening was um she 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 wrote her own raps, bro. I'm sorry. Like there there's that that even even that even being considered early I don't on even bother with that sounds, shit, man. Like sounded so like silly to me. And uh yeah. I mean I mean, yeah, sure. I, I know it, it seems a bit uh, you know, rinsed to this stage, but it was it was something that I was like kind of like thinking about uh as i was listening but i could ima- i can see why you know when listening to when listening to stuff from Taurus karam especially i was just like damn she just really sound she just really gives off biggie vibes honestly and that's kind of fascinating to have someone that is so that's that obviously you know kindred spirits in some way where they both just sound their styles are just so similar um and their content is so similar but as people, they're, they're you know low key, just a, just different um, in obvious ways and in more uh, subtle ways. But damn, man, they lyrically they're both just like really top tier, and they do the exact not the exact same thing, but very similar styles. And I'm just saying, I can see why people were like that at the be- in in the beginning. Um, obviously just you know the fact that someone like diddy was just constantly belittling going like i don't know what to do with it she's too hot like then that's on you bruv mr car stop oh sorry mr car stop won't stop can't fucking can't can't fucking see an avenue for little kim you mad diddy what fucking oh fuck up honestly man but yeah um that's that was just hilarious to think about um as as much of a tool he is um but yeah man the fact that she's come out of it um you know just i mean clearly not unscathed but um with at least the legacy intact is commendable for sure so uh salute her on that front yeah shout out Lil kim and when i said hop on to a lighter note if you have anything benjamin no i mean it sounds like you have fuckloads to be honest like yeah yeah I mean, but it's, uh, yeah but it's been like it's, it's nearly been 90 minutes <laughs> oh, it's, been, it? like, it's nearly been 90 minutes yeah, I mean, it's 125, so, so you know, near closer, but, oh, all right, fine. So, I had an epic Friday, Um, so I basically started off by hitting up um <clears throat> an event in Brick Lane in London called uh, Top Boy Live, and basically it was kind of just like a workshop slash panel thing going on Um, in, uh, well, yeah, I said in Brick Lane, and uh, yeah, it was just a panel with like, um, you know, the cast of Top Boy, um, the Ryan Cray of Top Boy, the producers of Top Boy, um and just really good workshops by people in Top Boy. So one of the music supervisors, one of the screenwriters of it, of uh, one of the writers of the show, uh, was in was in one of them, and just other people around it. Casting as well was very fascinating. Um, but yeah, it was just supreme aesthetic, um, really two thousands aesthetic, and uh, that was just really enjoyable. Got some really good photos of that. Um, Little Sims, I asked her a question, and uh, and the rest of the cast a question. Um. And uh, she gave me eye contacts, and I'm on. Cl- I was on cloud ten because of that. That's lit. Um, but yeah, man, I just got really good photos off that. I'm really happy about that. Uh, met some good people. 
um met some people uh that i've just been really you know just really admiring for the past few years sims included uh lavinia stennett who's um uh the founder of uh, the black curriculum um if you listen to what's good on my pod uh, you know i constantly talk about education and uh, she's doing the, she's doing the work she's doing the legwork on that front as it pertains to you know decolonizing uk education um but yeah it's just amazing and uh I, it turned into an impromptu kind of a networking session so that was kind of cool and then uh later on during that day had a few hours to kill uh got something to eat and then i head up to uh, camden to the jazz cafe best place in the world to see uh uh kemi Arde, uh bay anderson blue lab beats who i initially went there ri- originally for they threw they threw on their vinyls of motherland journey they asked like Cause, uh, who has a vinyl player and i put my hand up because i don't have one but you know i collect vinyl so i was just like sure um and they threw it and i saw on their i saw on their ig that uh fucking someone from complex uk got it i'm just like all right sure 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 yeah mm-hmm, okay interesting um how it's serendipitous yeah, serendipitous yeah yeah it's just you know it's just got to the person who was there for complex you know it was um but past that really good show sasha keebler as well who i feel like i've seen before but i don't know i can't quite pin it pin her down um but she 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 was decent as well i feel i feel like the host kind of uh, did her dirty by saying like she she she, she he, he put her, say, her name in Amy Winehouse uh, and together and I was just like okay so you've raised expectations for nothing but um she's she's decent you know she's not Amy Winehouse but you know who is um but yeah it was a really good show really good whole day I really got just some really good photos out of it posted that last night at 3am for no reason for some reason I just refused to go to bed without posting them um spent all night editing them and just some really good stuff there man and uh I want to I want to do like a picture book someday. Just you know, just just put them all on a book and just yeah, just I don't know. I just like I want to have it physically, just like looking, looking at it and do some writing along with it. But yeah, that's my, that was my Friday in a nutshell. And um, yeah, there you go. That sounds pretty <laughs> great. To under me. ninety minutes. Sounds pretty great. Yeah, no, it was it was, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing day. I mean, that's, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I mean, look, that's the thing. Just just very oh, now you quickly want to talk. on that. Just like. Charlie and I got this game sewn up. Charlie's interviewing Lil Sims. You know, he's out here. Lil Sims. <laughs> I'm interviewing Craig, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, actually, we should do that. Housekeeping. Um, on the 5 p.m. front, I've dropped two uh, long reads in the past uh, in the, for the weekend. Uh, it was meant to drop um, on Monday, but ended up dropping on Sunday because apparently I got dates wrong. Who knows? Um, so yeah, if you want to peep that, peep that. Um, it, but it was actually, Top Boy related, one of them, um, uh, covering their feature on Crack Magazine. Um, and uh, Ben's obviously done a couple of interviews recently, um, including uh, Joey Hip Hop from Joey Joey from Joey Hip Hop. Is that his name? Is actual Joey? I don't even know. Anyway, yeah, and Joey, um, and Craig from um from DHH, uh, which was uh interesting to say the least. Um, so yeah, go 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 spin. Go spin that. Why are you smiling, man? Why are you smiling? Uh, go go spin go spin that. Um, both shows are in the full show notes. Simple as. Go click those, and uh, they will be there, right in front of your face. Or you can just also, pe- or you can just spin it wherever you're spinning this podcast. We're gonna um, it's not gonna be fucking Joey and Craig for the rest of the year. I've got Shane Noir coming up. I've got Toby coming up. I've got actual. <laughs> I'm just shooting myself some bail right now. <laughs> okay. Actual artists. 
okay. Like not just random people like me who are just people sitting in their mother's basement. To be fair, I'm in my parents' house right now, but I'm I'm house sitting, so like you know. Sure. I I've been house sitting for the past twenty five years. Actually. I house sat um, for 32 years, so... I know, yeah. Hey, guys, it's not a bad thing to live at home with your parents, man, especially in this fucking stupid <laughs> capitalist world. <laughs> I'm not paying a $2.50 a litre for petrol right now. This is insane. And that's why I don't drive. But um, I'm just waiting for this housing market to crash, bro. I'm just waiting for it to just fucking plummet. Just to get, then just get, just get a flat, on, to get a flat on the cheek, bro. Honestly, yeah. I'm here for it. Can't wait. Wait. They've been talking about it. They've, uh, I've seen articles on it for the past like five years, and I'm just like, yeah, it's just not crashing. Still and... waiting. But with that said, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth M Podcast Network, it's been Digging Ditch. So enjoy this episode. I've been to the Fifth M. I've been Ben Carter, Fifth Pop Numbers. Continue on with this history month next week, and for the week after that, because we are still in the month of March. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. Wish you always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is piece of video games by bonus points. Thanks to Chill Records for the to use. Socials with Fifth Element Hip Hop by Numbers bonus points at your records will be in full shows as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a Fifth Element Podcast over production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits. <laughs>